What does it take to make workshops work? And how can we facilitate collaboration that sticks and leads to results? My name is Miriam Hatnas, and with the Workshops Work podcast, I'm on the mission to find the magic ingredients that make workshops work. Today with me on the show is Anna-Maria Dorgo, and we geek out about community building. No, in fact, she shares all her knowledge and expertise and so many golden nuggets on what it takes to build engaged, thriving communities. And what facilitation skills will be your best friend in this process? So stay tuned. And by the way, if you don't have pen and paper at hand, take your own notes. Why don't you scroll down to the show notes to download my free one-page summary. Now, enjoy. Anna-Maria, super excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here, to be honest. It's a dream come true. Yay! I remember we met a few years ago already. Yes, I think it's over two years now, Miriam. Now we've met. Yeah. And now you're here because I have followed your activities in community building and facilitating a community in its growth with awe. I followed the process. So I cannot wait to hear more about the story behind the LinkedIn community LD Shakers and the Butter community that you're now building and facilitating as a day job. Yes. Happy to share. Happy to share all my secrets. Yeah, whether we can call this a day job. Yeah, well, it kind of is, right? But it's still, it's like a playground. It feels like a play playground. Yeah. Nice. And let's start with the beginning. When did you start calling yourself a facilitator? And actually, do you? I do. I do. I mean, it depends in which rooms I find myself. <laughs> I'm sometimes calling myself an L&D professional. Sometimes I'm a facilitator. Sometimes I'm a community builder. Sometimes I'm all of the above. I think that uh, sometime around two years, probably longer, two years ago, I started hosting more, more workshops, more uh, sharing learning spaces or community events. Like that was by the time I was working as L&D manager and also the whole L&D shaker started. So that's kind of like my first encounter with facilitation. And so when facilitation as a skill kind of like landed on my radar, I was delivering already trainings and I thought, oh, I need to know this facilitation thing. I need to learn this. This sounds like something important, something that might be useful in my work. So I have to learn how to facilitate. And my usual route when I'm dipping my toes into something I don't know is to either research a lot or to enroll in a class, which is what I did this time. So I enrolled into what I thought it's like a um, facilitation course. And it turned out to be a uh, advanced facilitation master class by Daniel Stillman, who was here in Amsterdam. So it was a face to a face to face thing. And I was like, I was thrown into the deep ends of facilitation because it wasn't geared towards people that are just starting. So my first encounter was really harsh. So I tried, I took all, uh, I took some time to reframe it from failure to learning mm. back then. <laughs> and I was very careful to call myself a facilitator after that, because I think what I, from in my mind to call yourself a facilitator, you have to kind of like reach a certain level. You need to be good, right. And have years of experience and workshops under your belt to kind of earn or earn the title, right? And then at one point, and I don't even recall the, the context, I kind of made this connection between being a facilitator and calling yourself a traveler. 
So if you were to leave your current life behind and pack everything in a backpack, right, and and start to travel the world, if after a while you will meet someone and they will ask you, hey, Miriam, what are you? You know, what do you do? Like you would be like, I'm a traveler, right? Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't matter that you only traveled two countries and you have... I don't know how many more to go. You are a travel because you're doing it. And then I thought like, why can't facilitation be the same, right? I am facilitating. Yes, I might not, not be the best at it, but I am doing it. So I am a facilitator. Mm-hmm. So that's how I kind of like started to call myself a facilitator, although you're never done, right? Like you're never there. That doesn't exist in any skill or any profession, actually. Yes. And especially, I think, in facilitation, because it's so broad, there's so many facets. And there's no, what makes a good facilitator? It really also depends on the group. One facilitator might be very suitable for one group, but not so good for the other. Yeah. So who are we to judge? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, listening to your podcast or to Leanne's podcast, I realized like, oh, wow, even people that, you know, this is their job, this is what they're doing for years they're still learning. Mm. So this is a never-ending process of becoming and re-becoming and reinventing and, and changing and just honing that skill. And then I said, you know what? Just call yourself a facilitator and see what happens. And Yay. I mean, not, not, nothing happened, you know? Like people were like, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Not like someone would say, how dare you? No, not at all. No. Well, and... I'd be curious to hear, because you said you were giving trainings and then yeah. you realized that you wanted to learn the skill of facilitation. So what makes for you the difference between a trainer who's just training and a trainer who's facilitating? So the difference is quite noticeable, I guess, when you see two trainings that are led differently and it boils down to a couple of things. And the first thing that comes to mind is this very strong need to control what's happening in a training as a trainer. And in a way, it makes sense, right? Because as a trainer, you're the expert sitting in front of a group, you're the subject matter expert, and you're passing that <laughs> that knowledge onto the group. So the dynamic already when you say this is the training and this is the trainer, the dynamics between the group and the trainer are different, right? Mm-hmm. And it's rightly so because the dynamic is different. Power. <laughs> exactly. Like the exchange is different. And we know that as a facilitator, you're not the expert, you're the expert of the process, but actually the focus is not on you. It's on the on on the group and whatever they have to, whatever they have to go and achieve as a group. But a trainer that takes facilitation into consideration is taking away some of that burden and puts also the responsibility of the learning process, rightly so, in the hands of the participants or the learners. And I guess that years back as a trainer, you you somehow were managing that training in such a detail and leaving absolutely no space for emergence because you were like, I need to do this now in my way, otherwise they will not learn. And a trainer that facilitates is aware that that's not just a reality. That's not how people learn. People, even in a training session, people make sense of what's happening differently. So do we allow space for those conversations to happen? Do we allow space for people to learn from each other? Do we allow space? And can we pivot as well? Like, can you pivot the tra- in a training? 
if you see that, oh, they're not getting it, are we able to pivot? And I think that pivoting on the go, it's an essential, it's inherently a facilitation skill. Mm-hmm. And maybe trainers by default, they're like, I have my agenda, I have my curriculum, I have to go through this because this is what I have to learn. Yeah. But if you invite your, you know, the facilitation in, you can achieve better results if you're listening to the needs of the group and mm-hmm. adapt to them. Thank you so much for walking us through this distinction. And I think I rarely heard such a precise and thought-provoking distinction. And what I hear is trust. So the facilitating trainer trusts the group that they can go to the places and they're the trainer is rather providing input and holds the space for the group to also, yeah, for this experiential and maybe emergent learning. Exactly. And that the trainer does not necessarily know it all. Maybe, yes, the content, but the way how the content is absorbed and what parts of the content are more important for some participants than for others. Yeah. Leave yeah. this to the group. Shared responsibility, I like that. And if I if I can share one thing from that from that masterclass that I attended, at one point we had to facilitate something and we were spreading in small groups. And then the group decided that I should be the facilitator. <laughs> and so the activity, it doesn't really I I can't even recall what the activity was, but I do recall the debrief of that activity so vividly because someone from the group turned to me and said, Anna Maria, you are like a manager. Oops. You're like a manager with the group. You want the group to bend to your will and to your expectations. And that's just not what facilitation is. And that was, it hurt so bad. Like I was like, oh my God, like, but even from the first moment I heard it, I said, I am, I am, a, because I was a manager. Like my mm-hmm. role was to lead teams. And in trainings, I was behaving very much as a, like, hey, I am the trainer. And now everyone has to do what I have to say, because I know what we're talking about here. And you're just like soaking it in, right? And that was my first encounter with facilitation. And it was like, it touched me to the core because I will never forget those words. I feel with you (laughs) and I can only imagine that these are the moments where, yes, it hurts so badly, but it forces you to change something and to recognize. So this is actually the kind of radical candor we need in order to progress and to put in the work because then I, it comes back again to the trust, right? It's um, you can also be a facilitating manager, trusting your team, that they know how to do the things and that your way is not necessarily the only truth. Yeah, exactly. And it almost feels like then facilitating a community is the next big step. And I can even imagine that the danger or the risk of falling back into these old habits of being a manager, a community manager, I think that's also a a word that is usually used, but you cannot manage a community. Well, you're going to tell me whether you can manage a community. I mean, Miriam, that's exactly what happened with my experience as community builder. And 
I'm still learning that. Pro- I'm still in that process of learning to trust and let go of my own filters and definitions. And I'm still there, but I'm very much aware of it. And I guess that that was for me when I kind of like eased into community building. When Shakers started, it, it was never meant to be a big community. Like it was never meant to be what it is today. I couldn't mm-hmm. even have imagined. I didn't set out to build this. I set out to build a working group of five to 10 people that live in Amsterdam, <laughs> have the same job as me, and that are willing to meet with me once a month, once every two months to talk about their projects or work. I was working as L&D manager back then. So that's how it started. And it mm. emerged. How many yeah. are you today? Over 2,000 in LinkedIn and 1,000 in Slack. Wow. Yes. From all over the world, like all over the world. It's just, it's crazy. I can't even believe it. I'm, I'm telling it to you and I'm like, it doesn't feel that that's real. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. And what do you think is the magic sauce? How did you... Because it is, it is you who made this possible by inviting the group in and providing apparently enough value for them to, yeah. to join, be active and to engage in their free time. Yeah. Well, the secret sauce has many ingredients. <laughs> it's not an easy recipe. And uh, I think I'm aware of some of the things. And I also think that I'm unaware of a lot of things that... I do or I say or behaviors, but if I were to crystallize into something, and that's something that I learned in Alani Shakers and I'm taking away with me in the butter community is always go back to the definition of community. Because what is community? We talk that we're building community. So build community and community is a group of people that gets together to build something. They're building it together. And I know that we, we often say that is the community manager or the community builder. And yes, there every community has an initiator. And that initiator sometimes rallies another person or another two people. And then there's a small group. And then it snowballs because they start creating value. And then they see that it's valuable. So they invite their friends, their colleagues, other people that might take value. So then that network gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it always revolves on, around that core, which encompasses that person with the initial idea, which in the case of the Shakers was myself, right? But I, it was very clear from the beginning that I want to be part of the community. I want to feel that it's a community that we're building together, that people are adding their pieces of the puzzle to the big image and that I'm not managing. So that was my aware. I was, I was very aware of that. That was my speech. That was my discourse. But at the very, very beginning, one of the challenges was that was not what some of my actions were, were saying. Can you give an example? Yeah, I can, I can definitely give an example because this leads or links very, very well back to what we just talked about this, um, being a manager. And that for me, that was the biggest challenge was this and very also unexpected coming to terms with letting go. So by default, I think I'm someone that takes ownership really fast of something that I'm working on. I am curious. I like to move fast. I take action despite of doubts and fears, which are always, always constantly there. 
And I also have particular images of how I'd like things to be done, right? <laughs> and, and then that served me very well in the past, in my past jobs as, as managers or leader. Like I had particular moments where I was like, oh, that, that, that was the rewarded behavior. And that was what brought me promotions. And that was what brought, like, what made me successful in my previous roles. But then I learned that it, does, it doesn't really work with uh, building collective learning spaces or communities, right? And so I really had to stop and it wasn't a moment, right? So don't imagine that it was a moment in time where, where I clicked and then magically, miraculously, everything changed and I became a, a different person. It's, it's a whole process, but I need to let go of this, what perfect looks like for me, of controlling everything or on putting down my glasses and looking through other people's lenses and hold space for others and allow them to make the community their own. And this is why I said, like, go back to the definition of community always, even as community builder, because you can set up some a framework, you can set up a, a guide, and we can talk about why that's important, like that container, both in community building as well in facilitation, but also it's not yours. Mm. it's not yours. So although I was very convinced of everything I'm telling you now, like cognitively, like uh, in an awareness level, I was like, that's how it's supposed to be. But then I was finding myself, you know, a lot in the position of tweaking other people's work, <laughs> some feedback because their ideas weren't matching my ideas. And of course they weren't because they were their ideas and they were not my ideas. <laughs> and <laughs> I was trying a lot to mold things were coming from other members to my expectations. Mm. And that was really wrong. And to my, I guess that what, what helped me a lot make that change, and I can say that I'm very for fortunate for that, is that in, in the community, I was surrounded by people that cared enough and sometimes just as much about that space that we were creating to call me out. Mm. And someone actually told me, Ana Maria, you cannot allow someone to take responsibility over something and say, hey, this is yours, and then go back and change their work. Because then what's the point of doing it? What's the point of me doing it anyway? Wow. And then, I mean, what can you say in that moment? It's, like, it's, a, it's a major aha moment. And I also realized that was that particular moment. I realized that if I put too much of me and if I mingle too much in other people's projects, the ways of doing things, the way they communicate, and it's like, you know, in community, it's, it's like everything. And even this detail is like visuals and the way we document things, like all of those nitty gritty, like even there, I was like, but I would probably put this thing here and not there, right? And I realized that when I mingle too much and I put too much of Ana Maria in, in, their, in their process, I am actually somehow robbing them of the opportunity for them to learn and to fully immerse themselves in this, this learning process that being a part, an active part of a community of practice means. Yeah. And I was benefiting of that process. Like I was having the time of my life while through my control, kind of like robbing people of the same opportunity that I was enjoying and that was driving me to do this work. Yeah. So... Thank you for this open sharing. I want to appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it says a lot about you as a person that in the community, someone feels 
empowered to share this feedback with you. I think, although it hurts, <laughs> I can just imagine how much it hurts to be called out. I hope that you also see how reassuring and empowering this is for you as a leader. Yeah. That someone would trust you, that they can give you the feedback and it's well received and will lead to the change that they yeah. want to see. So that's beautiful. And it reminded me of this tension we have um, as facilitators between participating and facilitating. Mm. And you mentioned that you wanted to be part of the community yourself. So you wanted to participate. That's why you started it. <laughs> and then to be in this tension of is participating. And that's why I think in facilitation, we often say you cannot participate and facilitate at the same time mm -hmm. because you get attached. Yeah. And I can, that's what I heard from your description, how you cope with this process of getting attached, taking a step back, providing the floor for others. And still, I think it is, as you describe, it's a process because yes, you don't want to tweak everything and to put Anna Maria on every piece of the process and design and way of doing. And still, I think, especially for the beginning, mm. you do need this one person who is maybe a little bit too strict because otherwise it is difficult for the community to find their shared purpose and their soul. Yeah. Yeah. It is very important. And that's why I mentioned this balance in between the boundaries of the space that, that you're creating and the em emergence that has to happen, which very much feels like attention. And I think it is at times attention and it's something that it's never truly fully resolved. At the beginning, you do need that person, group of people to model behavior. And that is equally important in community building as it is in facilitation, in any workshop or any space where you're bringing people together. Because I think that if there are no, and when I say of boundaries, I mean, how do we transmit to people tacitly or specifically what is allowed in the space, what is okay and what isn't? Because you're putting a big, potentially a very big group of people diverse people together in a space and you do feel that responsibility of making sure that that space is safe that that space is welcoming that that space is adding value continues to add value etc so you need those call them i don't know social contracts rules of engagement uh, values so those are we create them in facilitation and we create them in community building Uh, but the way we created them with the shakers was through a process of co-creation. So we mm -hmm. workshopped with people and we said, oh, hey, this thing's getting bigger. We're a hundred, which back then felt like a lot of people. It's like, we are a hundred people. And we started like, I don't know everyone personally. And that was a big deal because at the beginning we were meeting face to face and you knew everyone, like you could see them and touch them and you could building those deep relations. And then we were a hundred and it's like, oh. It's becoming bigger and let's get together and see, A, what are we building here? Like, what is the space? What do we need? Who are we first? It was very mm -hmm. important to define who we are as, as a community, what value we're creating. And then there was this, uh, this part of that workshop, which was related to how are we going to behave with each other so that we keep the space 
welcoming and safe for everyone. And then you clearly, you have to pack all of that information somewhere, <laughs> uh, right? And you have to somehow include it in your onboarding when you're, whenever you're welcoming new members. But then you have to model it over and over and over again. In the beginning, and it's a group of very small people that are modeling, but as new members are being added to that space, that is what they see. So mm. a lot of people are asking me, how do you keep this space so free of your typical like commercial bombing or selling? Or so? We keep that space free because A, we have a strict no selling policy and B, because we that was like clear from day number one, that's how we modeled behavior and that's how we what we told people. And everyone that joins this space, it's like, it's very rarely that we see this behavior happening because people are like, this is, I don't see this behavior here. This behavior is not welcomed here. And in facilitation, as well as in, in community building, if you don't have those, that container or those boundaries, two things might happen. One is that there will be those people that will not know what is okay, what is not okay, how can I behave? And they will be paralyzed by that, by not knowing, and they will not contribute at all. They will be like, I don't know what is expected, what is frowned upon. I really don't want to put myself on the spot and do something that is not allowed. So I better not do anything. Mm -hmm. And then there are the others on the other side of the coin, which will be like, oh, there's no boundaries here. So I can take the space that I want to take shine the spotlight only on my accomplishments, uh, push my agendas, and so on and so forth. So that's those boundaries and that modeling of behavior. It's crucial from the very beginning. And yeah. if you can co-create it, even better. Thank you for walking us through. As a facilitator, do you ever find yourself stuck in a rut using the same activities over and over again? Or do you find yourself without a plan B, even though we know that things never go according to plan? That's why we made facilitator cards. I'm Meg Bolger. I'm a professional facilitation geek and the CEO of facilitator cards. Facilitator cards are the helpful nudge you need to get more creative in your workshops. They're a pocket-sized tool that you can use offline to create agendas and backup plans for your virtual and in-person facilitations. And for workshops work listeners, you can get a free set of wet erase markers to use with your facilitator cards by using the code workshopswork at facilitator.cards. That's facilitator.cards and enter workshopswork at checkout. And I see so many, so many things you're doing that are just our second nature as facilitators. Yeah. And I wonder, similar to the question initially, what is the difference between a trainer and a facilitating trainer? <laughs> what is the difference between a community builder and a facilitating community builder or between a community manager and a community facilitator? Yeah. So I don't really think that I have the full or the correct answer to this, but I can share from my experience or what I see uh, happening in other communities and especially from some of the struggles that other community designers or builders are sharing with me when, whenever I have the chance to exchange with someone. And it is this, this uh, challenge that we never really truly had with the shakers of lack of what community builders or L&D professionals or maybe facilitators call engagement. 
<laughs> right? So there's it's it's all about the engagement somehow, right? All the time. Whether you're in learning, you're in building communities, you're they are not engaged. People are not engaged. Like this is the magical, the magic thing that we need. Without engagement, no community. <laughs> Without engagement, no community. And rightly people. so, right? Mm -hmm. But how do we create that engagement then? And for me, engagement is the result of your community managing style. If you're the manager, the owner, or if you're the enabler and the facilitator of that space, that will make the whole difference. So I tell people, don't get stuck and think of how to create engagement. Look at how you behave. Even the words you're using when you talk to people, they matter a lot. You can say, I came up with this idea, or you can say, we came up with this. How might we solve this? What value do we want to create, right? So it's all about this going back to the definition of community. It's a space mm -hmm. built by community members, everyone together. And then it's this, again, just like a facilitator bearing on your, putting on the weight of that, the success of that space on your shoulders. And if it's working, it's on you. And if it's not, it's on you. And I'm like, it's not really, right? So you can, surely you can enable it. And that's where this community building as facilitator comes. And some tools are workshops, putting people together, co-design and co-creation spaces, opportunities, have very good feedback channels from in between the members. What do they like? What do they don't like? How do we capture that feedback? How do we action on that feedback? How can we improve, etc.? Those are all parts of this facilitating mindset. And on the other side, you have this one person and everyone looks at them because like no one is asking the members, why are you here? What can we create together? And there's constant, what can I create for them? How can mm. I design something to build their engagement? And I'm like, you don't, that's very hard. That is really hard to take the responsibility of engaging a massive group of people. Like who knows how to do that? Yeah. No one, right? So if you have a big follower and those are your followers and all they have to do is look at you and admire you and you give away from your, that's your followers, but that's not a community. So if you want to build a community, you need to be more of, of a facilitator, right? Yeah. And what I, um, what I experienced with the Never Done Before community is it really, there was the one thing that made all the difference, I think, when we started to connect them with each other around a meaningful purpose or a challenge. So suddenly said, okay, we encourage you, we build a mentorship program where they would join forces. So they couldn't facilitate or host a workshop by themselves. They had to find a buddy within the community. Mm. And so the opportunity for them to connect together around a shared challenge made all the difference. Yeah. Was it similar for you? And how did you go about that? Yes. So it definitely those the a very pivotal moment for the shakers was this were these three co-creation workshops that we've done. I think we were five or six months in, and that was after COVID happened and we couldn't meet face to face. So we started meeting online. And because we started meeting online, the doors of the community were open to people from all over the world suddenly, and not only from Amsterdam, right? So people started joining us and we were growing faster than before. And then we said, I mean, I was like, 
okay, these people are coming here, but like, I'm, I, no one really knows where we're going. What are we doing here? You know, it's like, because it, it felt that it was turning into something else that I didn't expect. And so I didn't know what to do. And then we run these workshops and we said, I don't have to figure it out. And I constantly went to this, this thing is not mine. <laughs> this thing is ours. You know, this is not mine. I don't have to have all the answers. And then we brought people in and it was eye-opening because, of course, I had my expectations, right? Inevitably. But the community came up with solutions to problems, current problems, and even anticipating potential future problems as we grow. And so it for you, it was this rallying people around a certain a common challenge. And for us, it was defining what value means for us, what should happen in the space for you to, to come back to it and spend time here and meet this mm. people and invest energy and time and everything, right? What should happen? And then people started listing a long list of, there should be events, let's try out new things, let's meet, let's do this and that. And after that brainstorm, you were like, wow, this is amazing. So now how do we do that? <laughs> And one of the ingredients of that secret sauce is this distributing control and ownership for different parts of the community to different people. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did in those workshops. And that's how we come up with a core team. So members said, hey, the space will need someone to kind of like take strategic decision, like big level decisions going forward in a year or two about value and where do we go and what, you know, what shape does this place take? And but then also we have so many events running, but what if each event would have like an event manager? So we call them event catalysts so that each event type came with a person and they were working with a calendar and they were, you know, doing their things. And then the projects came, which had a project team. And so we learned that every idea that we come up with needs to come with an enabler. Mm. We cannot have ideas and expectations and push them onto one person or a really small group of people because impossible, especially because it is a community of practice that is free of charge where people are dedicating their free time and their passion and everyone has their life and their job. So clearly our resources are limited. So yeah. that's the, how do we create value while moving on with our lives, right? Yeah. And what comes up for me is the beauty of boundaries and restrictions. So, okay, these are our restrictions. It's a free community. Everything is on a voluntary basis. How do we deal with that? And how do we distribute it and find solutions? Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And how do you now, how are you prepared for scaling? You said that you had these first workshops when you grew to 100 and now you're at 2,000. So if someone joins the community, how do you make sure that they get onboarded? Do you have a specific process for that or I guess a team? Yeah, 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 we do. So usually our, because we host the community on, on these two platforms, we started on LinkedIn because that was kind of like very handy because initially I approached people through LinkedIn to ask them if they want to like get together and learn from each other. So that's why we created the group. But because we host in LinkedIn and in Slack, people still somehow usually join us through LinkedIn. Like for us, it's a very great medium or platform. 
And I guess it's also thanks to the type of member that we have, which are LD professionals, which are majority of them on LinkedIn and quite active. And our group is closed. So we have to manually approve everyone who wants to join the community. And so myself and Lena Nasiako, we are the welcoming people, door, door, door woman, <laughs> bouncers, <laughs> like bouncers. And so uh, we switch like two weeks. It's me, two weeks. It's Lena. Then it's me. Then it's Lena. And so whenever our turn comes, we look at every single person that joins the community. And if they do have something related to learning, they're welcomed by a personal message. And in that personal message, we give them the minimum information they need to know. So we have a notion hub where they can find literally everything about the community. So we we send them there. We tell them specifically to read the interaction, the rules of interaction in the community and to abide by them at all times. So we mention that specifically in that welcome message. We tell them where they can find events. We tell them what is happening on LinkedIn. We tell them that we have a Slack and why do we have a Slack and what is different in Slack and why should they join Slack. We have a survey uh, where we capture information about who they are and mainly their current challenges. What are they hoping to gain from being part of this community? What do they need? And how can they contribute? I think that's also important to ask from the get-go. So it's like, what do you need? What are you going to take? And also, what are you going to give back? And we specifically mentioned that in this space, this is a space created by everyone. So in this space, treat it like your personal learning playground. And mm-hmm. you can do anything from attending events to running events, to come up with your own event type, to come up with your own project that you lead, to rally a team and do something. If you have an idea, just let us know and bring it to life and we'll support you how we can. And so we close that message. And uh, once a month, we have uh, a community socializing event and it's purely based on networking. And so we're tagging always all the new joiners and new members in that posts. So they are aware of it and they can join and, and live a bit the spirit of the shakers. So this is how we, this is how we welcome members and, um, make sure that they are up to speed with the most important information Mm. that they need to know when they start. Wonderful. Thank you so much for walking us through. And uh, it's interesting also to hear how you're working with the different platforms. Yeah. The interaction between LinkedIn and Slack and Notion for the information repository. Yeah. And now you started a few months ago, a job as a community builder for Butter, which is a video conferencing tool. And I wonder what is different? Because you said that the limitation of the LND shakers is clearly it's voluntary. Everyone contributes. So there's engagement almost naturally because mm. that's why people joined in the first mm. place, because they want to engage and they want to also give back. Yeah. Now, for Butter, there is a clear commercial idea of building community. Yes. So what is what did you learn what maybe works in the volunteer community but might not work in the commercial community? Mm-hmm. And where do you see the differences also in terms of engagement? Yeah. So there are many things that are very similar to 
my experience with the shakers. And there are also a couple of things that are quite different to my experience with shakers. And maybe the, the first thing to mention was this, the speed at which we build and we're still building the butter community. Because when I, when we started that process, we kind of mapped what is it that we're trying to build. So we entered building that process with a clear understanding on how that space should look like and what should it enable for both the members as well as the company, because it is a community that is, it's a hybrid community, right? So it is a community of practice for anyone that works in facilitation or would like to improve their facilitation skills. It's a, it's a community for facilitators of, of facilitation, but it's also a community for our users where they can find support, they can connect, they can learn more about the product, uh, where they can be educated, etc. And so because we had that be like a very well-defined vision, the speed at which we built was much faster. So we are now, we have over 600 members. We launched in mid-September. So it's like, what, six months in? So probably with the Shakers, we were at 600 people after the first year, maybe even more than that, because everything was happening very organic. Whereas with the Butter community, there is this conscious effort to promote the community, to make the community known to the world, to put it out there, to build in public, to to tell the world that the space exists uh, so that potential members can find us. And so it's a whole different speed and a whole different scale. And the challenge with this is obviously when you're, when you're building really fast from the beginning on, it's really hard to establish that ground deeper connections that happens in a community that it's small and organically increases. And I think that right now, even with the butter community, we stop that boom growth. So we're like kind of like stabilizing. We know more or less how many new members we have each month. And we have to go back now to asking ourselves, how do we create deeper connection? How do we bring people together? It is my role to talk to as many people as possible to learn who they are. What is their expectation? And then a very important part is this, how do I bring them together? So if someone asks a question as a community builder, and I'm sure you can resonate with that, I need to be able, if I don't know the answer to that question myself. And sometimes even if I do, to tag other people that might bring in the answer, a different perspective, et cetera, to cross-pollinate. And we do that by knowing people and tagging them and like putting them, like introducing them to each other so they can talk and find synergies and so on. So it's hard to do that when you get a hundred new people each month, right? while you still engage and have your current activities rolling. So, so that's a bit different. And then obviously there's the element of the product, right? So I mentioned this hybrid between anyone who facilitates, whether they are consultants or they're trainers or they're workshoppers, or they're, they can be teachers, they can be managers, they can be leaders, they can lead a team. They're not calling themselves facilitators, but they facilitate in their work. They're welcome to join us so they can see best practices, share, get together, talk about facilitation and, and hone that skill. But there's this element of our users, the butter users, and the community is this, this space where they can learn more about how to use the product. 
right? So then besides being a community of practice for facilitation, it also becomes our main channel for customer education. And that is something that doesn't happen with the Allen D. Shakers, for example. So that's, that is new for me. I can luckily lean in into my L&D experience with training and designing academies and learning programs and all that. But that, that is a part that belongs there and it's, and it's different. Mm. Yeah. And I wonder how you deal with the difference also that for the butter community, every community member is a potential client yeah. or at least a lead. Yeah. So there is a, I can imagine that there's, there's a sort of expectation from the community members to, okay, I have ideas and you deliver mm. <laughs> exactly the opposite of what you described from the L&D yeah. shakers, yeah. where you, everyone who comes in with an idea has actually to own it and to be ready to yeah. realize it. Yeah. Yes. I, I guess that so far, at least, uh, obviously things might change in the future, but so far we were very transparent with what this community is and what this community isn't from the get-go. And also the butter community was co-created with facilitators that were both mm -hmm. users and non-users. So we went through the whole month and a half co-creation process and workshops and like verifying and coming back to the people and everything. So for me and also for the butter team, it was really important that this community doesn't, doesn't become just this closed space for people who use butter. And that other people are Echo welcome. Chamber. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that the team is really aware and I am very protective of the community space. And we have really clear boundaries in terms of sales, if you want, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to bringing the product into the community. And that happens very rarely. And it happens as a side effect of the things we're doing to learn and connect and nurture the community. So mm -hmm. clearly like all of our events are hosted in butter, right? So we talk about facilitation and it's about facilitation, but we have so many people that have their first encounter with the product through a community event, right? So is that a funnel? Yes. yes, but is this the reason why we're doing it? No. Do we stay there and count everyone who knew butter or not? Also no, right? So, but it, it is a side effect of us creating that space for those events, those sharing and learning spaces and for putting it out there. And it's definitely a process. So I can't say that we are yet at the level where Allen Shakers is. And I mean, we're six months old and Shakers is two years old, right? But I see some patterns and I see some patterns because I, I lean a lot in my experience with the shakers to try to emulate or recreate that magic, if you want, in the butter community. And mm. one of the things is the, the core team. So I'm getting paid for this, right? Like this is my job. Someone pays me a salary to build this space, but I need help. I don't have the answer to anything. I need people to push back. I need people that think differently. I need people to challenge me. And so I went to the team and I said, I need a core community team. Right? I need a team of five, six people that are in love with facilitation. They like butter and they are definitely passionate about community. They don't have to be community builders, but they need to, to love bringing people together. And so... So we build that, right? And which is very similar to what I did with the shakers because I realized that 
that is a key component, not being Mm. alone and rallying people and have people to rely on, on your side, like your right hand, that's crucial. So I want that here as well. How do I recreate it, right? And you cannot go and ask for a team, right? For a community or 300 people. But I could create that core team. And I was lucky enough to find six amazing, amazing community members. And they are now my sounding boards. They are my right hand. They come up with ideas for content. For the, the slack. They slack me like, Anna Maria, talk to this person. Invite this person for an event. Let's do this. Why don't we do that? Like It's, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Right? So that already boosts the engagement. And then by talking to members, you easily learn what their motivations are. And I think this will resonate with you as well. Everyone who joins the community has different motivations. And some of them are motivated by building a personal brand and getting visibility. And I think that's awesome. And the Bada community is an amazing place for that, for professionals to, to build their credibility or their platforms or to boost their personal brand. But there are also those people that are, gen- they I want to learn right? Mm -hmm. And if you know who they are, and if you tell them, hey, you could use the space, you know, this is yours. Like, what would you like to do? And so the ability for people to create channels of interest, and one of our members created a channel of well-being, which has nothing to do with, apparently, with facilitation, right? But that's a passion of his, and he's built that channel. Or we have now two members that are building kind of like a facilitation sandbox, Mm. And they are driving this project for anyone who is would like to learn by doing. And that's something that you have in the never done before as well, right? So it's starting. We're getting there. And again, it boils down to the same mindset. Know the people and make people aware that this space is ours. And that's double the challenge because it's called the butter community, because I'm unemployed at a company right? So it's double the challenge, but it's definitely possible to do that. Yeah. And I can imagine that by treating the members of the community not differently. So having basically also the similar boundaries with those that are potential leads, because one could think, oh, they're potential leads. Mm. They need to become, we have to, yeah, to get the funnel right, to transform them into client, paying clients and all yeah. that. And suddenly it will change the dynamic of a community. Why yeah. when I hear you correctly is how you treat the members of the Shakers and the Butter communities. Basically, similarly, you also yeah. give them responsibilities. Uh, you share ownership. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, but to be completely transparent here, obviously, as a company, we look at how many members in the community are using the product, how many are not, and so on. But we're so transparent about that whenever we go and approach some. The focus of the company is not on converting as many as possible, right? The focus is what can we learn from those that are not converting? Mm. That's valuable information. What keeps you, Miriam, from from not using butter? And then if you're part of the community and if you're part of that space and you're immersed in that space for the learning, for the sharing, for the connection, and we have this trusting relationship and we've been communicated and I'm supporting you and it's, it's this giving back, this like dance of I give something, I take something, like it happens in community, then I can approach you and I can say, Miriam, I'd like to steal 15 minutes of your time. 
I would be very keen to hear what keeps you from using the product. Mm. And you will say yes without thinking that I have some sort of a weird, you know, agenda to push there. Because that is feedback that for us as company and for the product team, it's so valuable. Yeah. And even if the community members are not buying the product, they still transform into ambassadors. They mm-hmm. speak about the product. They share their experience using the product. And I think in terms of a marketing strategy, it's purely brilliant. If mm-hmm. you can really keep this core of having a genuine community and not using the community actively as a market. I think it, the difference is, do you make the members feel that they're just a marketing tool or is the marketing tool just the outcome of having a it's very strong effect. community? Yeah, it's an effect. And it's the same happens with the shakers. Mm. And it's the same happening with the butter community. We, we never set out to measure in neither community. Mm. Are people talking about us? How many mentions? Who's doing what? Never. That's something we don't measure at all. But we know it's happening and you see it's happening, but it's not a goal in itself. It's a Mm. side effect, but the goal is how do I create meaningful experiences for these people and meet some of the needs they have? Yeah. Hello, listener. Are you tired of listening to my podcast voice praising our sponsor Session Lab in each episode? I think it's time to pass the mic over to you. So if you are as much of a Session Lab fan and user as I am, please share your experience and praise and don't be shy of add a sentence of self-promo. Send me your soundbite and you might hear yourself on the next show and find your name and URL in the show notes. I'm looking forward to hearing from you.